0: Everybody. Welcome to Tone Vendors. My name is Tim Muirhead, and I will be your host for today. We have a special guest host joining us today in Mark Kilborn. Hello and welcome, Mark. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great, man. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here to talk about this game.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a fun talk today. Listeners will know Mark as a very active member of the online sound community in both post and game audio groups, forums, Slacks, Twitters, and everything and so forth. He was the audio director on Call of Duty franchise, as well as working on other landmark series like Forza Motorsport, Tony Hawk, Modern Welfare, among many others. His projects have won MPSE Golden Reels, Gang Awards. He's been nominated for BAFTA and DICE Awards. He's seen it all. Wowzers, Mark. Uh, It's really great to have you aboard. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Today we're going to be talking about the new PS5 game Returnal. It's a third-person shooter sci-fi based game with time loops happening on a shape-shifting planet. The game really takes advantage of the new sound capabilities of the latest PlayStation console, especially the 3D audio. One online review mentions the audio specifically, saying, Wearing headphones allows you to enjoy the 3D audio experience, where you'll hear gnarls and growls of the vicious enemies above, below, and behind you. Falling rocks have never sounded so menacing. Ooh, that's a pretty cool getting the audio mentioned in the reviews. That's awesome. Joining Mark and I today will be Loa Cotier, the lead sound designer of Returnal. Based out of London, Loic is a French sound designer with 12 years' experience in games, including 9 years designing audio at Microsoft and Sony. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for hosting. No problem, thanks for joining us. Also sitting in with us today is Toivo Kallio. Toivo wore a few hats on the game Returnal. He was a Foley artist, character vocal designer, as well as character sound designer. Working from Espoo, Finland, you have heard his work in games and films like The Little Prince, which is one of my kids' favorite movies. So uh, glad to have you on, Toivo. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here.
1: So Returnal's pretty amazing. I've spent a little bit of time playing it. I've really, really enjoyed it. I wanna dive into 3D sound because it's not only the new feature, but it was one of the things that really impressed me with this game. I've listened to many 3D headphone systems in the past and I've never been completely sold, but what I was hearing in this game is shockingly good. It's really, really impressive. You get this strong sense that things are happening around you. So I'm curious how working for this format Informed your design process. I mean, I'm sure this was something you were thinking about from the beginning, right? Uh,
2: Actually, not. So it was not from the beginning because uh, the game was developed for four years and we joined, CSG joined after two years of development and this is when the thinking about making it a 3D audio title uh, happened. So before that it was Toivo working on it for a year and a half and at this point it was worked on as a 7-1 game but then at some point, it became this discussion, oh, we need to make it a 3D audio title. And I, I was not there in the project, of course. I was not involved. So I don't know exactly how the discussion uh, happened, but probably thinking about releasing the game for PS5, and that's one of the big features. And it looks like the game has a lot of nice action that takes advantage of 360 combat and a lot of verticality and Someone must have decided this is a great game for 3D audio, we're going to make it a, a big title for that. And then this is when yeah, my team got involved and we have a lot of experience doing 3D audio for PSVR before. You're right in saying that when you start dealing with a 3D audio title, you need to know from the beginning, you know, because it changes everything. It changes how you're going to produce the content, record it, how your mixer is going to be set up. There is a lot to do on that. So when we arrived, it was a bit of a reset and also looking at the content that we had, what was compatible with a 3D audio project and what wasn't. What would we lose, have to redo or, or keep, preserve, but make it work within the, the right formats, basically. So yeah, the first couple of months were about setting that up, making sure it can work on the PS5. And we're also experimenting with the, the PS5 3D audio. It was the first time for us. So there is a lot of work just figuring out how to to make this sound the best on the PS5. In many ways it's an improvement on the PSVR system, you know, in terms of uh, more processing, more uh, objects going on, and also the higher quality for the filtering, uh, for the binaural decoding. So we had to experiment with this. But yeah, that was actually the main reason why my team got involved, is our experience in that field uh, to help Housemark deliver a 3D audio title. From my perspective,
3: this project had a few of these incredible, like, learning phases. I'm a man with the uh, background in the linear media, and uh, Returnal happens to be the first uh, the big game production I ever got involved with. I was relatively uh, green when I began uh, making sounds for the game at Housemark in early 2018. And as Loik said, uh, the game was originally made to be like a regular, traditional surround mix. But yeah, when the rumors first came in about this uh, game being uh, like a, even a showcase example of the new upcoming 3D audio tech, I was of course pretty intimidated at first. But uh, then, when I realized that I got to be a part of this world-class team, which is CSG, uh, and uh, Loic was really gracious towards me and took me into the team, and well, basically... uh, taught me everything about 3D audio <laughs> along with the tech tech guys. Still, I, I felt like uh, like the new guy in many ways when CSG joined, joined the production, but it was great. I got to bring my um, narrative cinematic approaches to the character sound design and um, transferring all that into Uh, 3D audio form and making it compatible with it was a fascinating uh, experience, especially since the game has these um, first-person sequences here and there, I got to really experiment uh, different uh, technical approaches with recording the foley there. What an adventure this three-year period of
1: production was with these guys. So the mention of the first-person sequences is interesting. I mean, I noticed that, and I don't want to spoil too much for the listeners, but there are moments in this game that are very personal. It's not necessarily—the game isn't necessarily what it looks like from the start. Yeah. It looks like an adventure happening on an alien planet, but there are some very personal pieces to this story. Um, Definitely, yeah. and I was And I was really struck by not just the fact that it shifts to first-person perspective, um, but the Sonic approach changed pretty dramatically when you were in these first person areas that were very related to the character's past. Um, so what were some of the differences in your approach to, for example, recording Foley? Uh, I mean everything sounds different. Footsteps, all of it sounds different when you're inside of Celine's helmet. Um, talk a little bit a little bit about how you what the differences were between third person perspective and first person perspective for Foley, if you can. Right, yeah.
3: Um, I guess the biggest difference from the recording perspective or point of view is uh, the miking techniques. I tried at first to to use these regular traditional XY stereo mikings with the suit movements and uh, the footsteps, but uh, I ended up using a binaural in-ear mic set to most of the first-person movements, for example. And then uh, when I brought that stuff into WISE, I got to uh, move that stereo image even more below the listener uh, with the WISE position setting, which made it sound like really 3D. Then the footsteps with the binaural decoding, uh, I could hear the panning in WISE They are just regular stereo or mono recordings depending on the surface, uh, which are just panned below the listener. It sounds realistic in a way I hadn't heard before in any game I've played. So it was really interesting to record all these layers and then use the 3D panning to make them work together.
2: I think a lot of it comes just from the full mix being in 3D and as soon as you change the listener position as being Celine, then you, you realize, oh, the feet are coming from the feet and also like the body is coming from down here and everything feels where it should be and it's kind of automatic, right? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. In brackets, because there is a lot of live mixing going on. Yeah. Uh, even like the, the helmet processing on the voice. So it's uh, when you're inside the helmet. You're in first order because the original recording was first order, Toivo, right?
3: Right, yeah. I recorded this uh, impulse response from a motorcycle helmet. I stuck a little uh, first order Ampisonics mic into the helmet and then snapped my fingers around the helmet interior. It was a bit tricky to get both my hand and the uh, mic to fit in into the helmet. But yeah, the finger snap was the basis of an IR, which then is used as a as a convolution preset in Wise.
2: Yeah, and that becomes ambisonics positional when you're third person, so we always keep the IR. It's processing the dialogue live depending on your perspective. And for some time, the game had allowed you to switch between perspectives live. Yeah. uh, Just for exploration, not for combat. And uh, this kind of made us make it work live. So we needed this to make a nice transition, You know, it made nice transition for everything, like the ambience, the rain, the foley. So it has two different mixes, uh, different formats. As I said, like just the the voice itself is going to be omnidirectional ambisonics when you're inside the helmet and become very positional ambisonics when you're not. And the fact that we had this perspective switch that was in-game allowed us to iterate a lot on that because you could spend, spend a lot of time a being and exaggerating a little bit the contrast between the two and what we have now in the game is is a very simplified version of you have a cinematic and the perspective uh perspective changes and you you might think oh that maybe that's in the asset but actually it's just live processing rtpcs and states that are just updating and doing uh doing all that stuff and it's pretty cool when uh when you know that you know it's not it's not faked it's just uh, The whole mixing in 3D that is happening.
3: Yeah, I guess this is a great example of doing your pre-production well enough and your tech setup well enough so you get these um, easy solutions later. Whenever a cinematic gets changed, like the camera position suddenly changes and you're not married with your asset being baked in this position like it's traditionally set up usually. So it was really cool to have this tech supporting our dynamic solutions later.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think with 3D Audio, there is sometimes confusion with ambisonics as to having an ambisonics asset where the positions are printed in the assets and ambisonics live mixing. If you use the asset, then you're committing to the positions of everything in your scene. So it can be very dangerous, maybe good for a pre-rendered video. Uh, But once you're in game, you can really just use the power of being a video game where everything has an emitter and just exploit that. And we've done that a lot Uh, and that works really well because, yes, there was a lot of iteration on the cinematics and uh, it's good to always have the positioning that you can trust because just working within the ambisonics format is a lot more work. You know, it takes more time to do to do anything. Yeah. So if you can just have all this ambisonics mixing within WISE, it's just much more flexible. Absolutely. And also you can always change formats, you know, change from fifth to first order, or even send to path through in WISE. You do that mixing in WISE, really, and it allows you to compare the render of everything as well.
3: In a way, you had to kind of divide your character into many more emitters of independent audio compared to the traditional approach where usually a character's sounds can be emitted from one single monorail position or emitter, but in this case uh, both hands, both palms of the hands had their own individual emitters, both feet had their individual ones, the head emitted the voice and the torso, kind of the body movements mostly, so it was really like a granular approach with the character as well.
2: Yeah, this is where you need to know this is going to be a 3D audio title that you need to have this level of separation on everything definitely. absolutely
1: yeah it, it definitely informs how you hook all this stuff because you have to do all the bone assignments for all the sound triggers um yeah, I've, yeah. i mean i've done that and not in a 3d audio context but certainly even in surround i've had to do that for scenes where you're very close to characters um, yeah yeah so how is reverb use different in the context of a mix like this versus just a standard seven-one or five-one mix. You know, are you actually placing reverb returns within the space? Are they feeding? You know, the mix. Or like, how does this? How does it work in this kind of a context?
2: So I guess it can be done in many different ways. But the way we've done it is that every space has a third-order ambisonics IR, and it rotates with the world. Which means, uh, let's say you have a reflection on the left wall. Uh, that will always stay attached to the left wall uh, depending on your camera so it feels really like you're in that place so yeah all the reverbs are ambisonics and all the content uh, go through it according to the sound levels uh, normal but yeah it is a lot of work to create those those reverbs they're all irs we also have delays that are going on Uh, we also have technology that does uh, live reflections based on the on the physics but it's more when you're exploring the world that you can You can hear the level of detail in combat. Uh, I actually turn a lot of the reverbs down because it it would become a bit too much. Same for the delays. So, yeah, yeah, actually, reverb is a big deal, a big amount of work, and it's all in the ambisonics realm that we're doing all that because it needs to be a 3D reverb, really.
0: And what are you guys using to create the IRs?
2: So to create the IRs, we use reverb plugins, delay plugins and we use Dirac Pulse to play that pulse through our chain. And so we basically, in the DAW, uh, we're going to have some some reverb sessions that will be set up with some ambisonics encoders. So they are the ambisonic spanners. And we will do a lot of testing with, for example, the foley of Celine, her voice, and have a video of a a room, and try to design the right reverb using uh, IR reverbs. But yeah, using any sort of delays, any sort of tools that we have to design spaces. And we just design it and pan the things around in, in Ambisonics. You know, we don't need to have uh, a lot of um, virtual emitters in that. But yeah, we we position all the sounds so that it feels very wide and spacious. And then, yeah, by just testing the sounds from the game through that reverb and seeing, okay, that feels like creatively we like this and also the, it feels very spacious. Usually we design... A quite different sound for the lower and the upper areas, so it feels there is a real verticality in there. You know, it's it's like in surround you exaggerate uh, the differences uh, between yeah up down, the back or the front, so that it actually feels wide. Because sometimes it is technically wide, but you don't perceive that, so you have to play a bit more. I don't think we do a lot of out of phase things. Just because with ambisonics, you know, you never know exactly what's going to happen with a phase. You need to be careful. But yeah, it's basically just designing IRs. So when we are happy with the sound of it, yeah, as I said, we play, we play that uh, single sample pulse to record an IR that we put into the IR verb in Wise. Uh, same way that uh, we use Toivo's IR for the helmet.
3: I think the reverbs and the acoustic simulations is one of the best ones I've heard in a game. It sounds just exaggerated enough to make the areas feel immersive. And it, of course, this is a sci-fi game and it's not based on real-life simulation like a Battlefield game, for example. But this game can be really bold in its solutions.
2: Yeah, using delays also helps to create... a. Uh special atmosphere. And we're using some wise delays, it doesn't have to be all 3D, just to yeah, to create some little bounces and it gives a mood to the sound.
1: How many people did you all have on the team for this?
2: So, uh, it is a good question, not an easy one to answer. <laughs> well, I know that we have the core team is 10, 12, uh, including the like CSG and Mark. That means uh, us us in London and, uh, and Toivo and Jeremy in uh, Finland. And uh, we had some outsourcing help at some point, but when we were towards the end, uh, we had 30 sound designers on the game. Yeah, So that was uh, very intense. (laughs) It's just we had so much content.
3: Yeah, the team size just kept ramping up. I remember having a Zoom meeting at nine thirty PM Finnish time and the other end was in Los Angeles and Loic was in London and we were talking about cinematic stuff. It was it was so cool
2: and felt like a <laughs> global production at that point. <laughs> that was good, but there is such a thing as having too many people. Yeah. At some point it becomes hard to manage, uh, you know, to make sure everybody's aligned and yeah, if there is a lot of content it
1: needs to, to be done. You can need to find support. The creatures in this game sounded really great. Um, you know, they were—they had very striking vocals. I thought they—you know—they had kind of a unique sound for each of them. So, tell me a bit about the creature sound design process on Returnal. So, the creatures—I guess it—it
2: begins with uh, Greg and Harry, the, the directors. There was one term that was for everything, really, but for the creatures, even more so, is uh, unconventional they wanted them to sound as original as they were looking, which meant we could never go to any uh, stereotype or anything. So, And it was good to have those guys uh, helping us, reviewing us on the creatures, because we would go in, in many directions, and some of them that might feel very weird to us. Because basically, when you say no conventions, you never know, is it actually still working at this point? Uh, that was the main part I was trying to make sure was there to ensure we can have the feedback. But in terms of is it selling the right craziness and stuff that was more mark and they were here to review. And many times they pushed us beyond what we would have as sound designers. Sometimes you feel like uh, maybe I'm too far already. Creatively it doesn't sound like this creature anymore. And actually it does. And they, they were pushing us a lot on that and that was good. From a high-level perspective, it was always about creating weird sounds for each creature. And uh, after that, in the terms of the making, there's been so many various ways of making them. Very, very few of them have been made with synthesizers. But most of them are based on recordings, you know, because it was uh, during COVID for most of the time and uh, yeah. people had to do with what they had. Mainly it was Ash Reed, uh, our senior sound designer. He was responsible for the creatures. And he did a good 90% of them. And uh, so he had so many various processes for each of them. He's tried so many things, Uh, using his own voice for sure, using some sort of paste or yogurt uh, to create some weird textures as well, using a lot of uh, crazy plugins. I know there is a lot of granulate where you can turn any sound into anything. This plugin is really good, really creative. I remember
3: vividly the first like kind of previous video from Ash about a boss character and we were like in awe about how crazy he can get with the sound design. I remember him telling me that um, one of the creatures, the, the thing that hangs from a ceiling, like the barnacle I think it's called, which grabs uh, Celine and lifts her up with uh, with mm-hmm. these tentacles.
1: And you never see them before you hit them, which is yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. very terrifying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> when you get close, the tentacles twitch towards you really quick, and it's it's really annoying. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember that creature being mostly recordings of a pug dog eating. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, when when he grabs Celine, there's this really like Jurassic Parky yeah, munching, and wet, A lot yeah, of wet exactly. texture
2: as well. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I remember adding also this funny little plop sound to when Celine gets off of the creature. There's this
2: plop hidden mm-hmm. in, in there somewhere. <laughs> I know in terms of processing that that was something that was quite important. And I guess for all creature sound design, it's important is creating some resonances. So, you know, Ash used a lot of resonant filters to give that sort of vocal chord or cavity sound to it. And also to make all this hybrid content glued together and have the same personality for each creature. Uh, I think his main um, attention was on the, trying to sell the scale and the elements that might compose this creature. Because uh, we have some metallic enemies, we have some organic ones, we have some cosmic ones. And cosmic, yeah, there was a lot of discussions. What is cosmic going to sound like? Even now, it's difficult to explain what cosmic sound like. It depends for each creature, really. So, yeah, resonance was the key to give character and make it believable sound that didn't sound like it was made in the studio, you know, feeling more like world dies, but really about coming out of, yeah, vocal cords, And I think that is one of the most significant parts of the processing in the the creatures.
0: Something that happens in the game, uh, one of its kind of core values of the game maybe, is that uh, when you die, you go back to the beginning. But the trick is that you don't play the same world again. Things in the world shapeshift and are different. But there are some sounds that you're coming back to when you start again every time. Were you trying to design that so that they are familiar sounds to make sure players knew they were back at the beginning? Or did you think about the idea of people are going to hear, be hearing these sounds a lot? Can we differentiate them each time? How did you approach these kind of returning sounds?
2: Yeah, we have a lot of uh, randomization, but the first thing, we have a lot of help from the level design itself that every time you, you come back is going to play in a different room, right? I mean, the first room is always the same, you're right. And for that, there is a lot of things that come from the game, such as the weather will be different. Yeah, Uh, the amount of rain changes, yeah. So that already changes quite a lot. If you're in the forest, uh, it changes the soundscape quite a lot. There is a lot that we do that is related to the rain. Uh, Then after any creature sound that we have in the ambience is uh, played with randomized timings and randomized positions, so that would accommodate for that. And, you know, there is always this threshold of how characterful you want this to be. And when you go too far, then it becomes repetitive. We were careful about not having too much of that. So, this, yeah. yeah, using using the physical things that were more naturally variable, such as, yeah, the weather, and not having too many sounds that were too characterful. For example, the sparks, we had a lot of iterations on them. Some. At the beginning, they were like super bombastic, very powerful, but after it gets a bit tiring. So we made them more standard, I would say, but just not exaggerated. You know, they work for what you see, but they they are not like picking your attention. There's not so much tonal content in them so that you don't feel the repetition so much. Right. Uh, I guess there is a lot of uh, attention on how tonal things can be, because tonal makes things cool. At least for me, tonal, makes things cool and memorable, but that creates fatigue too. So there was like a lot of uh, knowing how tonal do we want to go with this and this sound. The sounds that we wanted to be memorable, recognizable, are tonal, like everything that is more like UI related or related to the core critical path of the game. That sounds like Returnal. And a lot of other things, they just sound like a world and it's not that strong and you cannot get so much fatigue from it. Also, I guess the mix is in that we did have, you know, in the iterations uh, at, the, at the beginning, it was fatiguing, it was too much by having too many sounds there. Maybe the game was doing a lot as well. So everybody polished that in terms of the repetition factor. Everybody polished the game design, the level design and the sound design as well to accommodate with that. It's just because we were always back to that room If you were getting fatigued, we would address it after some time.
3: It definitely was like a group effort. It also helps in the first room. For many players, the second time you return to that place is usually happening inside the spaceship in first person instead of the outside wake-up that's the first time you play. Things like that also help from the game design perspective and also the game randomizes the animations with what the main character wakes up with, so it's easy to use different vocals and different uh, randomized foley takes for those, so it doesn't feel too repetitive either. To touch on the rain as well, I had a ton of fun designing this footstep uh, mixing structure in WISE that makes the footsteps feel and play wetter the more it rains it's actually under the hood it's really simple with uh, like a percentage of rain as an rtpc and then it just cross mixes these two containers with a wet splash and a dry footstep with a couple of tricks with eqs so it makes these um, rain footsteps feel really dynamic and wet and delicious <laughs> in, in, for my taste
2: Yeah, I guess it's good to say that in Returnal, because you're on that crazy planet, the rain can start and stop in a very non-Earth way. (laughs) Yeah. Again, that's going to change the soundscape. All the detail added to the sound of rain and all the consequences, like the footsteps. And then when it's not raining, it's different as well. You have a bit more creatures, you have more wind. That helps against fatigue because it's like changing the soundscape naturally by using what the game is doing.
1: Yeah. You know, there's obviously a lot of ambient detail, and I know the planet rearranges itself on every run through but what i don't know is are the map layouts completely procedural are they sequencing prefabricated sections of terrain so i'm curious you know how much of the ambience is placed in the environments versus just placed on the player and dynamically panning around Uh, basically how did you manage to populate a world that was shifting constantly with with details and how did you keep it? I guess the other question is how did you keep it so clean? Because rain and constant foliage movement can be really challenging from a mixed perspective. There's so much basically noisy textures happening.
3: Yeah we started to figure out how we could auto-spawn audio emitters with certain objects. Like as soon as you get these um, spawned trees, for example, you would then spawn certain like leave canopy rustling emitters at the top of them and also auto-spawn some ambient bird sounds, these alien birds tied to certain objects. That's the big part of how the audioscape Populates itself by each uh, level generation. Since the levels are compiled from these individual rooms, these uh, smaller areas which are pre built, it was easier to control uh, how much stuff each room is going to have.
2: Yeah, it's good to know that it's not fully procedural. Yeah. Uh, I think it's been built procedurally, but you basically have finite amount of building blocks that are called rooms. Exactly. Uh, and yeah. the arrangement of those rooms is randomized every time you play and the, what populates the room will change as well. Uh, so for us, it was actually a lot of manual implementation on those things and a lot of, you know, like the classic uh, prefab techniques where if you have that tree, you will play that sound. If you have that waterfall, you play that sound. But we have a lot of dynamic systems as well. So we're talking about the rain. So the rain, there was a lot of iterations on the actual playback of them. A lot of the systems we have for ambience adapt to the physics. We have emitters that will attach to everything that's around you in 3D. And then it will play the sound of rain hitting that material from various distances in 3D audio. So the fact that it follows the physical structure of the world That is something that is very good in 3D, Like you have the sort of uh, feeling like you're really having the sound of what is around you. And there was a lot of iteration on the assets themselves to get rid of the noise. You know, it is noise, but have more of that tappy rain instead of the the noise that you can have. So we have actually, I think it's around 30 emitters, but I don't really know. I don't want to say uh, wrong numbers. Again, it would be good to have the team here to explain on every little thing exactly how they made it. They would be so much better than me to explain the details of that. <laughs> yeah, like the huge round table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I know we have all those samples of rain hitting things. You know, when you, when you have all of them playing together, it feels like rain. And we have very, very few noisy ones. We do have some because it feels like for very strong rain... If you don't have a sort of constant noise layer, it doesn't really feel like heavy rain. Yeah, like the background canvas sort of. Yeah, so we have, we have both of them. It's actually very handy for the mix to have them separate as well. You can play with the intensity. And I guess, yeah, the noise floor and the noise feel of the rain was a big enemy. And uh, Ben did a great job at giving a lot of texture to that rain. And uh, yeah, it wasn't easy, especially because his system is, is complex and has a lot of emitters. So you're playing a lot of content simultaneously. That can easily become too much and result in in yeah, in yeah noise. Yeah, it's a combination of the implementation systems that are very dynamic and the sound that has been tailored for that
1: implementation. Okay, well, we're approaching the end of our time here, unfortunately. I could talk about this for a few more hours. <laughs> I have so many things I want to know about this game, but for a fun question for the end. Is there any particular sound or system or moment in the game that you two are especially proud of, favorite things you worked on on this project?
3: (sighs) Always the difficult question. I guess I could mention two things now that I've played the game as a customer, so to speak. Um, It was really pleasant for me to notice that Celine's pistol, the sidearm, has my old <laughs> weapon sounds in it. Mixed a bit differently than originally, but st- still, I recognized my own pistol sound from there, and that made me really happy. And it sounds great, actually, in the game with all the awesome tales. And also, I'm kind of proud of how responsive and human Celine's character feels like, even in the most intense combat The systems driving her vocal sounds, for example, react to her health level. She sounds more pained when the health is low and little things like that, which never went overboard with complexity but are granular enough so Celine feels really responsive to the situation she's she's in. Really proud of that.
2: I guess for me, at some point you well you, f- you feel like okay we've probably done a good job but you never know until people have heard it and see how they feel and then really seeing that people uh, are really enjoying the 3d audio enjoying the the haptics and the sound design as well and that's probably the thing that makes me the most proud of it touches people it's not just us doing a good job and feel like we've done a good job is really people saying, hey guys, you made a good job. And that makes you realize more than what you did yourself, actually. Otherwise, for me, it's really the fact that we that we made it, you know, like it was actually such a challenge to make this game. A lot of content with the COVID. I'm just happy of the sum of everything. When it comes together, it feels like it's part of the same world, even though all those sounds are super strange. Uh, that's the thing that I'm the most proud of. It's just the, the final product that I feel is is working, you know, because that was really not guaranteed. So, yeah, I'm basically proud of, of everybody in the project. Everybody has con- contributed, seen that working together and people loving it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, it's something that you should be proud of because uh, it, it's quite an achievement. So congratulations for sure.
1: Mm, thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was gonna say, the game, it sounds great. It's a lot of fun to play, but it's also, uh, we didn't get too far into the story because I didn't want to spoil anything, but Mm -hmm. it's emotionally very powerful by the time you get to the end of this game and you realize what's really going on with Selene and this planet. And um, I wasn't expecting that going in, but by the end of it, I was struck by how this game came together and what the story meant. So congratulations, you all did a really amazing job. Oh, thanks.
0: Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. And hopefully we'll have you on and back next time you got another game to ship.
2: Yeah, sounds great, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook support this podcast you can use our links when you shop with amazon or bnh or leave us a tip just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button thanks for listening